This is the Data Privacy Detective, and it's June of 2019. It's been about a year since the European Union's uh, general data uh, protection regulation went into effect, the GDPR. And today we have with us Kim Walker. Kim, uh, good afternoon. Good. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. And Kim, you're sitting in sunny uh, England today. I understand the sun is out. Uh, yes, not <laughs> relatively rare uh, weather, but uh, yeah. Same, same where I live, but it's uh, summer's coming, and uh, we're in. You know, we're a year into GDPR, and of course, uh, the UK, at least today, is still part of the European Union. So you've had uh, over a year's experience now since the GDPR became law in uh, in England. Uh, overall, what's been the experience? Well, I've certainly had a busy year, let's put it that way. I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> generally, I think the experience, and I may be looking at it from a slightly jaundiced view, is uh, has been very positive. I think um, uh, it ha the GDPR has had a very uh, positive effect on awareness of data privacy and uh, uh, data protection and um, a number of... Well, a lot of businesses that were pretty slipshod previously on data protection and uh, observing people's privacy rights have really had to up their, you know, improve their improve their act, and uh, and that certainly happened. Get ready for the World Cup of data privacy, I suppose. You've just finished, yeah, uh, yeah one of the great uh, world competitions in England. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so overall, you, you you rated as very positive. What's been the experience on businesses? As you say, some of the, well, all really that are affected by it, and that includes companies outside of uh, the United Kingdom, have had to up their game, as you say. Uh, but what have you have you seen uh, generally with with businesses aside from the time and attention and the cost of that? Uh, what difference has it made? Well, I think one of the differences is been a, you know, with with the with the companies that have taken it seriously, with businesses that have taken it seriously, they they have realised that um, data privacy and compliance with privacy laws, you know, has a business benefit. It's not, um, well, it's in part a painful, you know, regulatory compliance exercise, but it's um, it's you know it, it has reputational benefits if you're seen to be uh, good with data, so to speak. Uh, your customers and clients trust you. Your suppliers, and uh, you can get you can get a competitive advantage if you're if you if you in, in reputation terms. Um, and uh, a lot of companies have taken you know compliance very very seriously for that for that reason. Not just because the fines for non-compliance are fairly massive. Very significant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, they are. I mean, 20 million euros or four percent of global turnover. Uh, not that we're going to see anything anything like that, at least in the near future, I don't think. Um, but uh, and it's been interesting that the way the way the the, the information commissioner in the UK has, um, when she hasn't gone in heavy with enforcement, she has, she views um, uh, the GDPR as a way of improving, you know, helping companies improve their their privacy practices, helping individuals understand what their privacy rights are. And so um, there's been a lot of sort of nudging and encouraging rather than ledgehammer fining, which I think is 
Yeah, and the information commissioner, the sometimes the ICO, the information uh, information commissioner's office. That's the data protection authority in the UK. Am I right? You're right. Um, yeah, we have a, a very active um, information commissioner's office, uh, and they have done a very good job, I think, publicizing the GDPR. Their website had had about sixteen and a half million hits. Good heavens! Year, yeah, yeah. Um, they did a very good publicity campaign. Uh, I think a lot of countries around Europe, a lot of businesses around Europe refer to the ICO's website for information about GDPR because it is a very good source of information. I noticed uh, just this month, June of 2019, the ICO fined a Smart Home Protection Limited, 90,000 pounds sterling, for these annoying uh, phone calls, one, one increasingly gets robocalls and so on. I wish he'd do something in the United States, frankly. I'd probably get three or four of these a day. But uh, aside from that one, uh, what generally have been the, the fines and so on that, uh, that the ICO in the UK has uh, levied? Well, the fines that we've seen recently, including I think probably the one you just mentioned, are really under the old legislation. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and the, uh, for example, Facebook and its um, problems with Cambridge Analytica. It's uh, a it's, UK entity, Cambridge. Is that, am I right? Cambridge yes, Analytica. Yes, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Um, the, uh, the sort of political data um, used in a very uh, rough, rough and ready and roughshod way by Cambridge Analytica. Facebook will find five hundred thousand pounds. Um, but that was under the old act where the maximum fine was £500,000. So um, we haven't really had many, or well, we haven't yet had many fines under the GDPR or under the Data Protection Act 2018, um, although we are told that a number of the ICO's investigations are nearing completion and we can expect uh, outcomes soon. Um, there have been fines in other countries, France, as you find Google, 40 million euros. Um, and there have been some fines in Germany and Portugal around the you know sort of 60, 50, 60,000 euro mark. Uh, but in the UK, we've had very few fines under you know under the GDPR so far. And no doubt, it takes time to do an investigation, and that's probably not public in the UK. And so it'll be a while before we begin to see the real uh, yeah, impact of the uh, of the law. Yeah, it will. I mean, we've had an you know we've had an interesting enforcement notice. There was no fine, but um, the UK's um, Majesty's Revenue and Customs, the tax authorities, um, were found to have been recording people's voices and using them, you know, through technology to recognise them when they called back, and they weren't giving people enough information about about this sort of biometric data, which requires specific consent to, to, to process it, and they were. You know, I think they collected about 500 million, sorry, 5 million people's um, voices. And they've been, they've been told, uh, served an enforcement notice and told to delete it all, except for the relatively small proportion which they got specific. Be because uh, there, there had been no explicit consent, I assume, right? There was no explicit consent and very little information was given, at least initially, until obviously the government's data protection lawyer said you better do something about this. Um, very little information was given by HMRC when people rang in. That, you know, you know that, that for example, they weren't told they had an option um, to opt in or out of this voice ID. 
Yeah, the biometric thing is really quite interesting and certainly part of GDPR. Let me ask you about uh, lawsuits. Uh, has the UK seen uh, uh, individuals, either individually or on behalf of uh, what, what American lawyers call a class, a class action, uh, have you begun to see those in uh, the United Kingdom under the, uh, the GDPR laws? Uh, we haven't, and I don't think we're going to see them in, to any great extent. There was, there was a case again on, under the old act uh, on what we call representative actions, uh, Lloyd against Google, uh, which involved Google using cookies in some way uh, through, to collect information from people's phones uh, through Safari, also called Safari Workaround. Um, and the judge, the UK court, said no, a representative action wasn't appropriate in that case because um, effectively, well, the, 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 the people who sued were trying to uh, bring in anybody who had used Safari on their mobile phone. And the, and the court said no, you can only have a representative action for people who actually you know, know that they're suffering harm and... Um, you can't you can't embark on action on behalf of people who've really got no interest on it. You also the court also said you can't get compensation unless there's pecuniary loss or material distress. Which is very similar to what we've seen in the U.S., and that's been the problem with uh, data breach action, class actions in the U.S. So, you know, judges saying, "Well, have you been harmed?" And so you're seeing a similar kind of pattern. We are, and and although that was under the 1998 Data Protection Act. The principles are the same, and I think that is going to sort of dampen the uh, enthusiasm for representative or class actions in the UK, at least in the in future. Very interesting. Now, now the GDPR, of course, is a very comprehensive, directly applicable law, uh, but it also lets uh, the individual countries uh, derogate or, or make their own decisions on things such as at what age do you need minor uh, uh, consent or approval, and you can do it between age 13 and 16, that sort of thing. Are there any particular uh, derogations, uh, as we're calling it, uh, under UK you would flag uh, for our listeners? Uh, I don't think, I really don't think there's anything terribly exciting in the derogations. They're all to do with things like law enforcement and the intelligence services giving them um, derogations for the prevention of crime or the assessment of tax. Okay, so anybody familiar with GDPR would generally be familiar with how the UK approaches it then? Pretty much. I mean, there are th th things like if you want to use criminal conviction data, there is the, the UK's allows it but subject to certain fairly tight conditions so um, it's a sort of another layer on top of the special category data restrictions in the GDPR but as, as you say generally if you if you you know the GDPR then you're not going to be caught out by the derogation well let me slip into the Brexit question and you know as we're recording this you're part of the European Union nothing has changed but I it, it, tell me if I'm right uh, really the the Queen gave royal assent to the UK Data Protection Act, which in essence uh, made the GDPR the law of the United Kingdom a couple days before May 25 of last year. So it is the, the, actually an act of a parliament beyond just being a regulation of the EU. Do, do, do I understand that correctly? That, that's correct. I mean, that was done because Brexit was on the horizon. Uh, the UK government wanted to ensure that post-Brexit we were aligned with European data law, because obviously that's very important for trade. 
Exactly. So if, if Brexit does occur, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's hard to predict history, isn't it? But uh, if it does happen, um, w w would businesses understand that the, the the essence of GDPR, because of what was done last year in the UK, would simply continue? Of course, Parliament's free to change the law after that, but but it would sort of be don't worry about Brexit a whole lot in terms of data privacy. Is is that the guidance well, uh, you would offer or not? Certainly the guidance would be don't, you know, relax. <laughs> thinking that this is anything that's going to happen. It's not going to get repealed overnight. It's certainly not going to get repealed. Yeah. Basically, the law will remain exactly the same initially. There'll be, you know, one or two things that people, the businesses will have to do particularly if we have a so-called no-deal Brexit, so there's no transitional period. Mm -hmm. uh, and a no-deal Brexit, I have to say, is looking increasingly likely from mm -hmm. the 31st of October. Um, so that if, if you have, a business, if you have uh, businesses in, in, the rest, in the rest of Europe and they want to transfer data to the UK post-Brexit, you won't be able to do that without putting specific... Um, safeguards in place. You'll have that cross-border issue for sure, but in terms of UK law, it would simply remain as it is today? It will, and the fines will remain the same, the principles will remain the same. Essentially, we've transposed the GDPR into, into English law, British law, and that will uh, continue post-Brexit. Very good. Well, Kim, this is a wonderful tour of UK data privacy law and a, a good example of how GDPR has uh, unfolded uh, one year later. So thank you so much for joining us. Any any concluding thoughts you'd offer? No, I think we've got an interesting year ahead. I think the, um, the information, information commissioner said she's going to look beyond sort of baseline compliance with the GDPR towards what, what she describes as accountability, so making businesses show how they comply with the GDPR and uh, that they have and are making real efforts to embed privacy into their businesses. So it'll be interesting. Well, and as you say, it's it's one thing to uh, adopt a policy or post a procedure and appoint somebody a, a data protection officer. It's quite another thing to actually enforce it. <laughs> so you're saying that's what we're going to get into in the next uh, year or two to come. Yeah, the, uh, the, the GDPR and, and data protection compliance is certainly not a box size. Very good. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, uh, and and uh, uh, you're uh, the uh, uh, one of the key people at Shakespeare Martineau, one of uh, Britain's great firms. And uh, do, do you head the uh, the data privacy team? Uh, I join. I'm joint head, and uh, yes, we. Uh, I do a lot of GDPR work, a lot of data privacy work. I'm also an IP lawyer and a commercial lawyer, but GDPR has been, and data has been at the top of my agenda for many months now. Yeah, a long time. And uh, of course, Shakespeare and uh, and you were involved with Privacy Rules, the world's uh, alliance of both law and tech firms uh, focused on data privacy. So couldn't have a better person to guide us through this. Thank you. Thank you very much. In concluding, as I always say at the end of my podcast, uh, your uh, data privacy protection begins with you. So long until next time.